Welcome to the Ramble Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Primus, father, entrepreneur, filmmaker, athlete, hopeful writer, and dedicated wanderer. I'm curious to learn more about how people live their lives, their struggles, and passions, and pains. So every week, with athletes, entrepreneurs, healers, adventurers, and beyond, I'm going to have unbound and uncensored long-form conversations about people, places, pursuits, and performance. Enjoy. Hello, wonderful people. Welcome back to The Ramble. Today, I have the most wonderful, cool, probably coolest guy in all of Memphis, Tennessee with me today, Jeremy C. Park, the CEO of City Current and a man on a mission to power good. Jeremy, thanks for coming on The Ramble. Absolutely. Hey, I'm honored to be here. You and I are uh, good friends, obviously. So this is a fun chance to catch up and dive into the world of making a difference. I know. And you're better at it than many people. And, and I don't mean that from the standpoint of lots of people want to do good, but there is, and they have good intention and they want to volunteer and they, maybe they, they, you know, they give a little social cause to their business and, you know, they put like, you know, 25% of our proceeds go to helping kids take basketball camp, but to really affect change. And not just do it once, but to build a culture and a legacy of it takes commitment, but it also takes formula. And there's a way I think that you've you've mastered. And I really want to get into that today. But maybe the best place to start, Jeremy, is just to like help everyone understand what it is that you do from your the books that you've authored to the business that you run to the good that you do in the world. Can you get, can you do that for us? Absolutely. So it really all centers around the mission, just like you talked about, to power the good. And so title-wise, I'm the CEO of City Current, and City Current is an organization. We're based in the Memphis, Tennessee area. I have a team in Nashville. We do things all over in different cities, um, especially tied to a company called Higginbotham, which I'll tie in a little bit. But the mission is to power the good. It's a team of businesses that are a privately funded catalyst, basically, to make a difference and do all of these good things that you mentioned, philanthropy, media, events. Those are the three things that we do. And so when you look at it in, in both of these cities and really all over, it's a lot of events. And some of those, most of those are in person. During the pandemic, they were virtual. And most of them now are hybrids as well. So literally anyone around the world can participate, which makes it fun. But these are events that are geared toward enrichment. So it's bringing in national guest speakers, it's workshops, it's seminars, social mixers, anything and everything that we can do to bring our community together, to you know, bring it together uh, collectively and connect, but also to, to foster enrichment and engagement and to be able to uh, you know, leverage this opportunity to get people more involved. And that's where the philanthropy, we financially give to nonprofits, we do a ton of volunteer days and action projects and things to physically serve. And we'll talk about why that's so important later on. And then media wise, host and produce a number of different TV shows. At this point, I think it's five different TV shows. We're, we're rapidly growing, so I'm losing track quickly. But uh, TV shows, radio shows, we have a radio show on all four of the Cumulus stations in Memphis, all five in Nashville. We have columns, we have two books, we have podcasts. And it's all around celebrating the good that's going on, but really more intentionally looking at the lessons that are being learned, um, how people are making a difference, what they're learning so that we can leverage those to get people more involved and so they can become an even greater spark in their own community. And so it's taking all these lessons, all these positive stories to uh, power the good news and to mm-hmm. power the good really in all these different places. And, um, and why that's so important is, as you mentioned, 
One, if companies are giving 25%, that's awesome because most companies give less than 1%. So (laughs) we are are playing really this CSR, this corporate social responsibility game is the world that we're in. And what we're doing is we're getting companies. So when you look at who our partners are, it's some of the world's largest employers, FedEx, AutoZone, Kroger, Verizon, Smith & Nephew all the way down to entrepreneurs and restaurants and a car dealership. I mean, you name it. So we have a very broad mixture of companies that financially support what we're doing. So they join join forces and funds to be able to to pour into what we're doing. But these are the the people that are working so hard to lift our communities. And so we're, we're showing that by getting more involved in the community, there is a real ROI that takes place. And that comes about by employees who are looking for volunteer experiences, a higher purpose. They want to work for companies with a higher purpose. Consumers are driving this big time where we want to shop and do business with companies that have a social impact story. And so we're making our purchasing decisions based on that. And and when you look at it, being able to physically allow your team to serve There's all sorts of stats and studies that show employees are more productive, they're happier. So, you know, from a well-being standpoint, there's a powerful opportunity. And so we're showcasing all of these ROIs, if you will, to get companies more involved so that nonprofits who rely on the financial piece, yes, Mm -hmm. but also on the volunteerism to get our community uh, going in the right direction and really lift in all parts we can connect and become this army of do-gooders. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, the reason that's so important is I'll kind of wrap this up is, is that money, a dollar bill, obviously a very financial, uh, an important financial resource. But if I put it on the table, that dollar bill doesn't walk. It doesn't talk. It doesn't parent a child. It doesn't mentor anyone. It doesn't teach anything. It doesn't physically come up with any solutions. People do. And if we are going to lift our community, if we're going to get everything going in the right direction, because, you know, the reality is there is a lot that's broken to be able to fix that and get things where we need to go. We need leaders physically involved. We need them serving on boards. We need them going out and lending their time. So it doesn't need to be just, here's the money and, oh, it's your problem. Go fix it. It needs to be, hey, we're here to lift our hand and raise our hand to be a part of the solution. And together we'll get where we need to go. And so that's the world that we're trying to, you know, to really play within, but also why it's so important is to get people physically involved in companies with a lot of employees. There's a powerful opportunity to leverage that, to get them physically involved and really do powerful good in our community. Yeah. Like the, the interesting part for me, for me there, and then there's so many jumping off points for me, like, there's so many, and uh, you know, I'm trying to hold on to, on to them all in my head. But when we talk about the getting them involved piece in a in a time when many of us are selfish with our time or want to protect our time, which is understandable, and or we're so busy, it is counterintuitive to do what you just said for many organizations to make that shift. So, where in your history, your personal history, did you start? to see that there was an ROI model that measured both on the balance sheet as well as in the human impact. I'll go back to my childhood. I write about this story a little bit in the second book, Giving for Growth. And so I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, a small town called Weatherford. My parents still live there today. 
have a younger brother, three years younger, who actually now lives in the Memphis area about five minutes down the road, which is awesome. And my parents had an open door policy. So 2 a.m., 2 p.m., didn't matter. People in our community who were going through a tough time, divorce, loss of job, depression, whatever it was, they would come over to my parents' house and just talk. And my dad had a, an office at the house and or still does has an office at the house. He was early and, in the home office. Uh. <laughs> oh yes, absolutely. I mean, I, what's funny is I, like, well, I'll bring it back full circle in a second, but there's, there's a funny story there where I didn't really even know what he did. I knew he was in the insurance business for so long, but he was always just there for us too. Right. So, uh, and having a home office, he was just, you know, at home working. So my brother and I really didn't know exactly what he did. We knew he was in the insurance business. So anyway, people would just come over to the house all the time and 99.999% of the stuff that people had problems with had nothing to do with my dad in the insurance business in terms of what he was doing professionally or my mom being in education. And so Can I ask it was funny. Jeremy, how did they, how did they end up being the go-tos for that? Always serving. So parents heavily involved in scouts. My, you know, dad, my dad still serves on, you know, all the scout, uh, boy scout, Mm-hmm. boards and everything. He's still putting on merit badge colleges for thousands of kids, even though both of us have, you know, long left for 20 years plus the program. <laughs> so my parents have always been involved in the community yeah. and always just open hearts. Right. And so yeah. even our, what's funny is thinking back, like all these little things you don't even think about, even our tennis coach growing up for me and my brother who became like an older brother for us, he would always just come over to the house. Like after tennis, he would come over to the house and just hang out with us and watch TV and string rackets. My, my, my dad would let him use our racket stringer all the time. And so he was just one of the family members, right? Yeah. And you don't think about that in the moment growing up. But what happened is, is my brother and I saw at an early age, the power of just being there, being present and just helping people. It wasn't rocket science. It had nothing to do with the business side. But the more my family opened up their hearts and served and helped others, the more really just amazing things happened to our family. And obviously, the friendships that were formed, the relationship side, but just cool things that that I can't even make up. And I didn't put this in the book, but one of the cool stories that really articulates this, and I don't normally share it, but we've got some time. So it's kind of a cool story is my brother always wanted to be in the Marines ever since he was little growing up. And uh so he, he had bad eyesight though. And so he gets it pre-approved locally to have LASIK surgery. He has LASIK surgery. He goes out to uh, Marine boot camp, and uh, he's out there and they have, for lack of a better knowledge, the, the kind of a moment of truth. And he's like, you know, had LASIK surgery. I'm excited to be here and, you know, let's do this. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That hasn't been approved. Maybe, maybe locally they said you could, but uh-huh. like nationally that hasn't been approved. So my parents get a phone call saying, Hey, we're kicking, you know, your son out of the Marines. And my dad's like, give us 48 hours. Let's, if we can't figure this out in 48 hours, then okay. But you know, this is his childhood dream. Give me a shot. Well, in 48 hours, my dad's able and my parents, both are able to lean on all these different relationships that they've built over the years. They have a friend who's in Congress, get a general who's on vacation out of Quantico to approve, to let my brother be the guinea pig to go through and stay in the Marines. So we get out to graduation and the commandant of the base is like, I want to meet this family that can get a force, you know, a general out of Quantico to approve this, you know, no name kid to stay in the Marines. 
And he's fully expecting like, you know, some celebrity like Tom Hanks or, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, Colin Hanks. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and walks, you know, my mom and dad, average looking people. And I'm in there. We're just sitting in the, you know, the commandant's, you know, official office. And he's just like, who are you? <laughs> you yeah. Know, expecting some amazing, you know, politician or something. And my dad's like, I'm just a normal guy. And I help a lot of people. And when I need help, I know where to turn. And so, you know, it, stuff like that, just, and obviously that's a little bit more of an extreme version, but those sort of stories don't happen unless you're genuinely out building relationships and opening doors. And so I've built my whole career on doing the right thing. Obviously you have to work hard. You have to show up and, you know, put the effort in and, um, and continue to improve. But I built my whole career on volunteering, on giving back, on trying to make a difference. Every single job I've had, every single thing that I've done has all been through relationships. You look at, I was a marketing major in college and my big dream was to go out to Los Angeles and work in the entertainment business. I was going through Actors Preparatory Studio in Fort Worth, Texas at the time. I was the first one to show up, last one to leave. I was volunteering, helping market shows. The, the lady that owned the studio pulled me aside and she's like, she was from Los Angeles, had a lot of connections there. And she said, look, you're the hardest working person I know. You're helping me. You're selling out shows with no-name actors. I know if you can do that with no-name actors, you could probably do that with big names. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do you a favor. And so like all these little storylines of just putting in the, the work ethic, yes, doing things the right way, but ultimately giving back and just helping people. She got me the job in LA. That's where I cut my teeth and learned TV, radio, film, all these things that now led me to Memphis to, uh, to do everything I do today. And even how I got, you know, tied in with Johnny Pitts and Lipscomb Pitts insurance and now Higginbotham, which is the full circle story I'll wrap up with all of that came about because we moved to Memphis, not knowing anybody, I got transferred into a radio and, uh, just started volunteering with nonprofits doing business plans and marketing plans, met this guy, Johnny Pitts. And he's like, Hey, I'm buying out this networking organization. I need a plan. Could you help me write this plan? So I wrote the plan that has become city current. And he's like, man, this is your plan. How about I, I let you run it. And so the rest is history. I've been doing it now for 14 plus years. And, uh, but it came about because of giving back, making a difference, pouring into the community, the full circle side with Higginbotham. I'll wrap up with this. I'm going to tell a lot of long stories is so my dad in the insurance business, right. Mm-hmm. And Lipscomb Pitts insurance, which I'm an owner of as well. And now I'm a shareholder with Higginbotham. Higginbotham is based in Fort Worth, Texas. Lipscomb and Pitts merged with Higginbotham uh, about a year and a half ago. And the irony of this whole thing is, is that my dad and Higginbotham go way, way back. My dad helped Rusty Reed and the team at Higginbotham launch their employee benefits division. I kind of knew all the names, but I wasn't paying attention growing up. And all of a sudden we have this big merger and now we're this massively huge, you know, one of the top 20 largest insurance brokers in America we're going through this merger. I'm just like, I know these guys, these are all my, my dad's best friends. You so didn't, they, at the onset, you didn't know. You just kind of had the epiphany in like midstream. I, I knew when it came down to, you know, who we were looking at merging with, I was like, wait a second. Oh my and God. so, you know, but Man. of all the stars aligning, that's the, the perfect, you know, story in terms of like full circle where, 
my dad, all these relationships. Now I'm one of the owners of this company mm-hmm. that he has a story in helping to build. And, you know, Rusty Reed, the CEO gives them, you know, all these amazing storylines in terms of them going back. But anyway, you know, the ability now to do everything that we do. So with, with Higginbotham, now City Current is a, a piece. It's all under this mm-hmm. massive umbrella, this holding company. We're a piece of that. But what it really has allowed us now to do is start looking at expanding City Current into all these cities, Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, taking our TV shows there. So we're in a really cool now storyline of being able to expand, you know, these opportunities to power the good just because of these cool, all these cool relational story moments that uh, come full circle. It's so true, man. Like it's so true that there's an energetic, maybe you believe it's a spiritual, whichever it is, when you tap into that force of good, things start to flow. And when you're when you were speaking to me, I kept thinking about my my brief one year stint in, at High Point, North Carolina, on a running scholarship, and the South, and how friendly and warm the South is, not just the weather, and whether I was whether I was like you know years later as the underwear sales guy going to the Nordstrom stores, all my favorite stores were in Texas where everybody knew my name and I knew theirs. And I'm curious, you know, is, is some of what you say and do possible because of Southern culture and Southern hospitality that kind of wanes as you head to the coasts or, you know, because I feel and see the difference in that neighborly do good. I'll make the time for you just way of living life versus okay, I should do this or, you know what I mean? Does that, how much, does it, do you feel that? I mean, you still live in the South. Is that maybe part of it or is, were your parents outliers? Do you see it as outliers? I, I want to go back at first to what you said about the energy. Cause I'm a big believer in the energy you give is what you will receive mm-hmm. in terms of the opportunity. So the energy you give will be the opportunities you receive in life. And so I'm big on, on energy and putting out good energy. I do think that there is a culture in the South that is definitely, and, and when I say South, you know, kind of the, the Southern belt, Texas, Mississippi, mm-hmm. uh, Georgia, Alabama, obviously Tennessee, you know, kind of this, this Southern belt, the Bible belt, whatever you want to call it, where it's a lot about family, faith, um, taking care of your neighbor. I will say there is a piece of that, even, you know, especially moving from Los Angeles, it did take me a little while when you sit down and someone just starts talking to you, you have a natural guard up. It's like, what do you want? And they're like, oh, when I get to know you, right? Like I, I genuinely don't want anything from you other than to know, like, you know what makes you tick. And so uh, I, I have that guard sometimes I get it. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think in big cities where there is an urgency, there is a lot of pressure. There is a high cost of living, you know, and, and, and living in Los Angeles, I mean, I, I loved every minute of living in LA. And, and when I was with United Stations Radio Networks, which is a part of the Dick Clark legacy, they were based in New York. So I had a lot of opportunities to work in New York as well and go coast to coast. And so I love the energy of the big cities like the LA's, the New York's, but there is an urgency. There is a pressure. There's a lot of people that are moving from all these cities around the world to chase their dreams in those communities. Right. And so you have a lot of 
um, people that are moving there, giving up everything to try to make their dreams come true. And you look at a city like Memphis, the vast majority are, are people who grew up here. They're from Memphis. They're deeply rooted in the community. So you've got, you know, very different um, kind of DNA, if you will. And I see this in Nashville too, is Nashville is growing so rapidly. And, and a lot of the individuals moving are moving from the different coasts and different areas. And so the DNA of Nashville is starting to change and be a little different, more like a Los Angeles or New York. And so it's not a bad thing. It's a, it's a thing of just, okay, how do we take this and make it what it needs to be so that people do care about each other and do care about the community? And I will say that while City Current, because we're looking at all these you know, major markets and people are asking those same questions, is City Current going to be a relevant fit for uh, a Los Angeles? And my thing is, is absolutely because now more than ever, we need companies and we need people engaged in the community in a positive way. Mm-hmm. We are so combative. We are so politicized. We are so, um, you know, moving apart. We need to have the connectors that bring us together. Mm-hmm. We also need to serve together and find opportunities where you and I especially can come together and do good. And we do things like Samaritan's Feet where we wash kids' feet, give them new socks and shoes. And when you have all these different, um, you know, genders, ethnicities, races come together and you do it around serving others, you build relationships that when something bad does happen, I know I can still trust you and we're on the same page, right? And then we can have a real dialogue to come through together versus being at opposite ends and saying, I don't like you because I don't even know you. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we need more more independent groups to come out there as third-party catalysts and just say, we're like Switzerland. We're, we're just trying to do good. We're not picking a side in terms of Republican or Democrat. We're trying to just do what's right, empower the good, and lift our communities. And I think that's something that every city needs. It may not be as easy just based on, is there a, a long, deep-rooted, deep, deep-rooted legacy of people um, who you know are serving the community who grew up there, but I would argue, like a city like Nashville, you have all these people who are moving to the city. They want to build relationships. They want to care about community. They want to be connected. They don't know where to start, mm-hmm. and so now we get to be in a different way. Um, in one area, they may be already a little more connected, but now we can add horsepower and accelerate. Yeah. In another. We need to be the connector to get them involved and then accelerate. So different iterations, but just as much of a need. There's a science behind that. Uh, I had Christina Crook, who is, uh, she helps people digitally detox. She helps people build healthy relationships with uh, with technology, social media. She's written a couple of books, Jomo being one, Good Burdens being her, her recent, most recent, which is attached to this idea of what are the things that we don't do that we should do because they're good burdens by doing them. We feel better. And even if we didn't want to, and I can't remember which, if it was Scandinavia, sorry, if it was um, Finland, Sweden, Denmark, I can't remember which one, but one of the ones that's usual top five, top three happiest places on earth. And she had said that volunteerism and community events are literally built in to the social fabric of, of your daily life, of the culture. And it not only does it keep people away from tech because you're in a, in a more just, you know, you don't have that idle time to scroll and, you know, and watch Netflix, but 
by the sheer act of having your knitting group and having your book circle and makes you happier. Like literally just being in that environment, having that thing to do purpose, connection, so on and so forth. And I was, I was just like, so taken aback. But when you said, and I don't know why I hadn't thought about it, Jeremy, but like, when you look at all the social movements of the last couple of years, you know, important conversations, but they're still all self-interested in only one thing, their movement. And I, I'm not putting a right or wrong on that, but then you said, if we bring everyone together in service of something else entirely, we see our humanness, we connect and it, it becomes less, you know, I need to force my, what I need through. And I just wonder if, you know, if that, if that can find its way into the mainstream, what you're doing in a, in a, in a way where it's like, instead of just a, you know, instead of just a big protest, it's like, wow, the CNN just featured all these groups coming together in service of something that has nothing to do with any of have you seen that? Am I just, am I in la la land here, Jeremy? Like, no, I mean, I, I think one, just understanding basic context, like you said, we are all interconnected. Like we're, we're connected. We draw our energy from others. And whether you're introverted or extrovert, you, you, we saw the impact of the pandemic on isolation and what that, what that creates and how that manifests in the depression and all of these things as humans, we're meant to be connected. And, and I think that's an important piece of the equation. You know, like you said, is that when you understand we're meant to be connected and we are all connected, that then drives this, okay, well, how do we break down those stereotypes? How do we um, make sure that those who are, you know, in your world, numbers because you don't have a name to them, a face to them. You, you don't have a relationship with them. How do we create those relationships? And there's, you know, tons of great teachings, you know, Father G from Homeboy Industries in LA, he always talks about living on the margins and those that, you know, are on the margins and making sure that we go to the margins to, um, you know, connect our community. But the, the bottom line is, and this is something that Manny Diaz, who was a former mayor of Miami, talks a lot about on his end, is that he would intentionally bring all these different factions of the community together to go and do volunteer days and service projects. And, you know, by design, he was inviting all these different groups and activists and whatever else and bringing them together to go and serve. So something positive, and to your point, that was different than what they were all working on, but to have conversations and to build relationships and then ultimately something bad would happen, but then they weren't numbers. They were people that you would just call or email and say, Hey, you know what, Joel, man, I, so this is bad. We need to do something about it. Let's get together and, and let's do something positive to bring our community together versus if I don't know you, it's super easy to say, you're a bad guy. I'm going on the attack. Mm -hmm. And, and let's, you know, do something destructive and that's how cities get burned down and nobody wins when cities get burned down. Yeah. And I think we saw this, uh, Beverly Robertson, who's the CEO of the Memphis, greater Memphis chamber. She talks a lot about from protest to progress. 
and how she convened all these different business leaders and activists and kind of being a third party and saying, let's have important conversations, but build metrics around what we can do. So it's not just talk, it's actually a plan. And I think those are the kind of things that we can share across our world as opportunities for others to create these experiences like you're talking about and be intentional. Don't just invite your friends and family. Be intentional about inviting others in your community who don't look like you, who don't have the same, you know, background, faith, economic status, whatever it is, and inviting them to participate so that you can do some really cool relationship building in the moment you're just becoming friends, Mm -hmm. but down the road, you look back and those could be some of the starting points for saving the city Mm -hmm. for doing something monumentally important with you know, some sort of a, a, of an issue, a social issue. I think the smallest things can have the biggest impact when you look back years down the road, but it's being intentional. And, and I'll, I'll kind of say one more thing on this. And, and you kind of mentioned this throughout is none of this has to be complicated. I think people get wrapped up in, well, philanthropy, like that's something great, maybe on the weekends or whatever else. Like I don't have time for it though. I'm super busy, time poverty, like my kids, sports, all these things, right? Well, guess what? You can make it really easy. And this is a big part of kind of just what we try to do in in the books and everything on our end is show how easy it can be. For instance, you're going to the grocery store, buy some extra items, some canned goods, some peanut butter, things like that. There are tons of food pantries of the Mid-South Food Bank, you know, being food banks, food pantries, nonprofits that that desperately need those canned items. Mm -hmm. Some of them, you can even drop them off right there in the grocery store. But shopping with your kids and saying, you know, this is why we're buying this extra stuff or, hey, why don't you go pick out something you would like, you know, someone your age. And we do that kind of stuff all the time with our family. And it's made a big difference. I take, you know, our kids with us when we go to like Sam's and go shopping for all the volunteer days. And I have them pick out extra stuff that we can donate. You can take shopping, shopping experiences. You can write letters to uh, military service members serving around the world. You can do so many things, toiletry items. Um, that you can weave in. And now more than ever, they'll send food boxes that you can package as a family to your house that you can do those. Mm -hmm. You can do them over lunch at your office. You can take nonprofit tours. Like there's so many easy things that you can do that are a part of your day that um, at a higher purpose, there's really no excuse now why you can't be socially involved and make an impact. And, uh, and, we can talk more about why that's so important in terms of your storyline personally and professionally and as a corporation, but it, it really does not have to be complicated. It really can be very, very easy. I, I hear you. And I feel like it gets lost. I even know I'm guilty of this. It's like, if I'm not, because we're so enamored with the billionaire savior complex of like, so-and-so did this for all of India, you know, or whatever, you know, that we forget that it's the little base hits, not even the little base hits. It's like just the even littler than that, that make the difference combined, not the big stuff. And we think, again, it has to be huge movements. It has to be these things. And we just, it's overwhelming. It's like, eh, well, I'm not going to be able to do that. So I'm not going to do it. Right. And then you miss the one opportunity to help shift one day in somebody's life. And maybe their entire life is, is a result of that. And, and I do want to get into the corporate side of it because 
we had we had this experience with one of my companies, and the and this the, the irate hysteria, the division, where and and somewhat of the ignorance, I guess, on our part, where we um, when the Black Lives Matter, uh, I guess that was two thousand and twenty, was was really fever pitch. There was lots going on in a lot of cities, and we we collaborated with a number of uh, artists in the community, and we made T-shirts. And we sold the t-shirts on our website where 100% of the proceeds went to each individual artist's charity of choice. Well, that, you know, just us thinking, okay, well, we're being in the moment and supporting this thing. And that drew a line right down my, uh, my customer base. So much to this, um, so much so that I lost thousands of customers who did not agree with what was happening for one way or another. And now, obviously, that's a political movement. Um, so you're not, it's not as, as simple as buying food for somebody where nobody's going to take, you know, have a, of a, of a bias of some kind or an opinion of some kind, et cetera. But I'm, I'm curious how, if there's a question baked in this, mate, like when a brand is thinking about philanthropy and both tying it to the brand, maybe unapologetically, for instance, Patagonia unapologetically green. If Trump says something about a, a national park, they're going to tear him to shreds. They don't give a shit about Trump's base, right? Tom's shoes, one for one, unoffensive to all, right? But like, how do you, you know, just like really just dig in, like, how do you take, if someone's got a brand and they're like, I want a social component. I also want to, I, I want my team to really believe it and live it. How does one even begin to think about building it into the fabric of their corporate culture, of their brand identity, and, and not just that, but actually executing it? And I will just add one more thing on this tangent is because what I've seen in, in you know, my space is, is apparel and consumer product good is like, especially with climate change, and um, you get a ton of brands greenwashing. They're doing nothing but saying they're doing something. And everybody's got 1% for the planet, but they don't actually give a shit. They just, it's trendy. So they put it on there to, to look like they fit in. And what you've built and what you do and what you teach is, is, is actually turning it into a belief system inside it, the company that they actually execute against. How does one do that? So uh, this could be a whole presentation. So right. <laughs> Get out the slides, relax, buddy. Let's go. In. Let's go. Share screen on share screen and go. <laughs> well, let me let me touch on a few things and then I'll backtrack. One is what you mentioned at the onset. That is a big current trend that's taking place where companies now are being expected to take a political stand. Yeah, that is a fairly new trend that companies are still grappling with. And, and it's having obviously repercussions because, you know, prior consumers did not, and, and employees did not expect companies to take a political stand on a societal issue, right? Companies were kind of on the, on the sidelines. Yeah. Now though, companies are seen as individuals and we want to know where, I mean, almost like a political candidate. We want to know where you stand. We want to know what you're going to do. We want to know the difference you're going to, you're going to make. And we expect you to do that. Mm-hmm. On the second phase of that, I'll say that for those who are greenwashing or, you know, they're putting it out there, but they're not, they're not really doing it, it will come back to bite them. Social media is creating transparency like we've never seen before. We as 
consumers are becoming more savvy, are becoming more research driven. If you aren't doing the things you say that you are supposed to be doing, it will catch up and bite you in the rear. And uh, it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but at some point, the truth will come out. So I think that's an important piece of this equation is uh, do what you say you're going to do, be honest about it, and, and don't just use it as a, um, you know, as a marketing ploy to try to win people's trust, knowing that it's a big trend. Let's step back. Some of the big trends for especially the business community, this was all the stuff that on my end, um, you know, when you talk about where trends are headed, I'm a big believer in if you don't look ahead and see where these trends are taking us, you're going to get run over like a freight train. And so a lot of these trends have been going on for a while, but they're just now really being seen in big ways. And the, co- the first one, and we've been talking about it, is that social impact is now mandatory. And this will kind of take us throughout. So consumers are driving this. 85% of millennials, and this is a while ago, that number is even higher, are making their purchasing decisions based on the social good efforts of companies. There are competitors for every sort of service and product you can imagine. And with the internet, it's super easy to find any company that has a higher purpose. The shampoo I buy, the clothes I buy. I mean, literally, I make a conscious decision, my wife and I and our whole family, to purchase goods and services from companies that have a social impact focus. And you're seeing that as a big piece. So to your point, you as a company need to have a higher purpose. You need to have a social impact. You need to uh, put that front and center on your website. And so one of the things that we talk a lot about, and, and you've kind of been alluding to this, is have a social impact statement, have a corporate philanthropic statement, whatever you want to call it. Um, there's different words, but you can go and you can Google, you know, FedEx's corporate philanthropy, FedEx corporate philanthropy statement, FedEx's social impact statement, FedEx social impact mission, you know, all these different buzzwords, CSR. But you'll see on there, they put it front page on their website. You know, that they're going to focus on things like pedestrian safety, disaster response. They're going to give through in-kind donations of shipping to nonprofits, mm. financial contributions, volunteerism with their team members. So they're going, to, they're going to literally put it out there. And they're picking the lane that they want to serve and make a difference in. And I think that's an important piece is that, you know, you mentioned Patagonia and, you know, looking at environmental sustainability and international paper, same thing, environmental sustainability. So, you can pick something that either your employees are passionate about or that fits your, uh, your, your corporate DNA, your corporate structure, your corporate mission. But you want to be focused on um, at least one to three things. And then what I argue is for people as individuals to have a philanthropic statement as well. Know what you stand for, because if like anything, if you know what you're fighting for, you can grade against that and you can see the difference you're making. If you're just fighting for everything, you know, like if you're trying to please everyone, you're, you're going to please nobody. You want to know what you stand for. And so for me, it's education for my family, it's education. And so if you ask anyone, you know, my wife or kids, like what difference are you trying to make? What nonprofits do you support? It's focused on education. We're trying to make a difference in education. We believe that that is the best way to lift our community and and to try to make a, a difference with kind of our family. Right. But you can also use it as an opportunity to get to know others. If you start asking others, your coworkers, your friends, you know, different family members, like, what do you stand for? What are you fighting for? What's your statement of purpose? 
you'll get some amazing responses and people, you know, who have overcome cancer or battling cancer that you had no idea, right? Like it opens up this really powerful relationship building opportunity to sit there and just ask them, what are you fighting for? What's your statement of philanthropy? What's your philanthropic purpose? So know it and write it down, commit to it. It can change, you know, over time, but it's really important to commit to it. Mm -hmm. And then like as a company or as an individual, now that you know what you're fighting for, okay, where can I block off time? Where can I start picking those nonprofits that focus on those areas? And how can I strategically serve those organizations? And once again, if I say, well, I want to make a difference in education. Well, that's pretty easy. I can start looking at, okay, I can look at schools. I can look at different nonprofits on my end, how that manifests. I'm the board chair of an organization called New Leaders that uh, is a national organization that has a Memphis chapter and it trains principals and teachers and education leaders to go into transformation schools. So these are transformational leaders taking on these schools that, uh, that need powerful leadership and it's making a huge difference. But I strategically get involved with organizations focused on education and carve out time. I put it on my calendar. I know where I can serve. And so it, it just, it gives you a laser focus on being able to carve out a time, whether that's, you know, an hour a week, an hour a month, an hour a year, then you can start reaching out to those different nonprofits. So many cities have uh, groups like City Current that work with different nonprofits that say, whatever you want to serve in, whatever you're good at, let me start asking you some questions, but let me match you up with those different nonprofits and then let the magic happen. And so it just, it creates this roadmap where you figure out what you want to do. We help match it based on your time commitment. Next thing you know, you start seeing some, some tangible returns and man, then you start to take off because you realize, okay, it's easy to get involved. I can build some amazing relationships with others who are trying to make a difference. That energy is something that is, is amazing and you can build on it and accelerate even more. And next thing you know, man, you can see that you're, you're able to really make a difference and make an impact. And I'm a big believer in, especially for, for an individual, uh, serve with at least two nonprofits, one big, one small. The big nonprofit will teach you a lot about process, leadership, activation, relationship building. It gives you a powerful storyline. If I say I volunteer with St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, everyone for the most part knows it. Um, easy, easy door opener, you know, if you're out talking to people. The smaller nonprofit, though, is where you'll build your legacy because the smaller nonprofit, you have a chance to raise your hand, to be a leader, to show that you can create results, you can add value, you can do everything you say you're going to do, and you have a chance to take a leadership role where others see you as a difference maker, as a change maker. That's where then all of a sudden, personally and professionally, the doors start to open. Every company is looking for change makers. Every company is looking for leaders. The best way to get involved, to meet other leaders, because every leader, if you ask them what's important outside of the success of their family and their, their organization, it's going to be something about the community. They're all serving on boards. These are all people who deeply care, especially when you talk about CEOs and you know, that executive leadership, they care deeply about community because they know it's all interconnected. So if you are out there serving and giving back, one, you're building credibility. Two, you're building relationships. Three, you're building your resume to show that you can add value and open up all these doors 
And that's where giving leads to growth. I mean, the, the whole book is called Giving for Growth, but that's where giving leads to growth in all of these powerful ways. And that's as an individual, but it's also as a company. The more you give, the more you can grow. The more you allow your employees to serve and open up those opportunities, the more happy, the more productive they're going to be. The consumers start to see it's real. It's not lip service. They're out there making a difference. That's a business that I want to do business with because I trust them. All of us, every single person in this world, we're in the trust business. I want to know that I can trust you. And when you talk about serving and volunteering, I don't have to be out there, but if I am, people see, wow, that guy, he's a good guy. He's out there doing all the right things, making a difference. I want to get to know him. I trust him. I want to do business with him. That, that's so that's true. what all this is about. Yeah. And I, and I want to, so I want to put just a, a pin in, I want to ask him, I want a, a marketing question. So we're just going to put a pin there, a marketing branding question as it relates to giving. But just to reemphasize what you said, Jeremy, like my mom was, she was so entrenched in the community that I grew up in, which is a small, small community, not the big city of Vancouver. And I always said like, it was because people trusted her through her volunteerism that I even got a chance as an entrepreneur to, because of her connections, they became my connections. And then I did, you know, I did the volunteer route in the city as a younger, younger dude. And if I had been in Vancouver, this is your big charity, small charity, I would have had a far harder time starting my business. But because of that trust establishment in the smaller town, there was just so many more doors opened. I trust your mom. I'll give you a shot, kid. That kind of vibe. You know, she did, she did a lot for us. She did a lot for this community. I don't hear that anymore. I mean, I'm not in the city anymore. I'm not in, in that community anymore, but I, I just hear so much less of that, especially post-COVID, where everyone is like, it's all about personal travel and you know, they're gone and they're away and they're and it takes you out of that community and you know, you bloom where you're planted type thing. And so I I wonder if the negative effect of of what we've, you know, the, the lockdowns, et cetera, which we, we talked about, but also just that mindset of more global mindset versus that community mindset to really do what you're saying. So maybe we'll get there. Um, I want to add one piece oh, to yeah, please. on that is because, you know, the small town, when you start mapping out sphere of influence, so one, just the trust, and it does carry over. I mean, you look at like, as a parent, what you're able to build in the trust. I mean, we were at the state tennis tournament and you know, our younger son was talking to some of these other tennis pros and like, there's a certain just level of trust then where they're taking a huge interest in him and vice versa. And now he's, you know, charged up even more because he knows them personally. But the, the reality is, is that when you start looking at sphere of influence, there's a lot of people in that small town who are connected yeah. to big city opportunities that sometimes you, you overlook. Yeah. And so you don't realize the power you have in the palm of your own hand based on the strong relationships that you have in that small community that are connected to the yeah. big ones. So I think charting out sphere of influence and looking at it is a, is a big lesson learned. You see that a lot in fundraising with nonprofits, but it's also something, especially as an entrepreneur and just as a business person, like LinkedIn makes it a little easier, but it's like you have powerful connections when you start deeply getting involved. And to your point, the pandemic has really focused on me versus we and you know, being a little bit more selfish and social media, same thing where you feel like you got to, you know, look cool and do all these amazing things. 
Yeah. But we're losing that sense of connectedness that leads people to real opportunities. And I think when you start isolating yourself, you're also isolating your opportunities. And so the pendulum will come back, especially as things continue to open back up and be a little bit more normalized, but it's going to take some time. And we need to trust each other. You know, there's a, there was an, I guess it was an, an accidental side effect of mistrusting the the hygiene of your fellow man and woman, even that creates this distance between us that we, you know, we didn't have before, you know, and, and, and again, the lockdown created another one. And then it became, well, are you vaccinated? Are you not vaccinated? And then it became, are you anti-racist? Or are you not? And they, it's like every one of these, these, these things that is intended for good, actually accidentally creates a further wedge because it encamps people farther away and it, it builds distrust amongst people. And there's a, you know, I think that there's intuitively, we're not like that as humans. I think we've just been pushed there and have to, I don't think it comes back as easily as we want it to, or maybe it does because we're just so desperate for connection deep connection. And this is where I'm always torn between at home and remote work. I love the idea of at home work. I think it's better for your family. I think it's better for your health, fitness, all these things, but then you're not with your team and you're not building those connections. I love a good zoom event. I think in-person conferences are way better, right? You know, it's just, it's so, it's so different. Uh, so let's also put a pin in that because I wanted to know, for, like, again, you've done marketing plans for people from a peer business perspective. What's your take on two things? One, the, the importance, if you really want your message to resonate with your consumer, that there is a connection between the philanthropic activity and the business itself. Simply put, I'll go back to Tom's. They put shoes on people's feet. They make shoes, Right. Let's say hypothetically, if you watch the show Meat Eater in hunting, hypothetically, animal conservation protection of forests would make sense. Education might not make sense for him. And does that allow the amplification, the rallying of your customer base when they really can see the connection points between the two? Or does it not matter as long as you do the philanthropic like activity, you communicate it effectively, so on and so forth? And two, somewhat tied to it, uh, getting political about it, as you said, everyone has to be these days. <laughs> Danger, avoid, <laughs> abort mission, like, or, or no, that's actually further entrenches you or entrenches you into the, um, the message and the thing that you're trying to accomplish. So uh, let's go back to trends, because once again, when you understand and look at the trends, that gives you a good baseline. The Toms and Warby Parker, and there's, yeah. there's a ton of the one-for-one one model. Toms really was the, they get the credit for being kind of the innovator in the space, um, really did revolutionize and create a, a corporate, a CSR trend. And not that the one-for-one one model in and of itself was the trend where, you know, we, like you said, you buy a pair of shoes, we give a pair of shoes. That is not realistic for every business, especially service-oriented businesses. What it did, though, is it really changed the mindset around how do you bake in 
the cost of giving back into every single transaction. Prior to that, and especially around the 2008 with the economy starting to to go down, prior to that, corporate philanthropy was really, hey, if we have a great year, let's give a lot of money at the end to nonprofits. It was really about a check. The problem, especially in 2008, was all these nonprofits that were relying on these yearly big checks to fund their mission, at the end of the year, these companies didn't have a good year. They were tanking. They didn't give anything. So you realize, and these nonprofits, a lot of them had to close or they were left holding the bag. That model is not sustainable. So how do we change the model to become more sustainable, to become a lot more trusting? And that's where the one-for-one model, the the Tom shoes really did change the game in the sense that, okay, let's, let's bake in the hard cost of giving back into every single transaction so that we know with every, with every sale, we're making a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think that in and of itself is a really powerful trend that all companies can leverage. So whether it's a percentage of sale, um, you know, every single sale, we're going to donate 25%, 10%, whatever it is, put that in a charitable coin bank and those dollars then can be given to the nonprofit that fits in our wheelhouse or our employees can vote and we're going to give them a voice into how those dollars are given. And this goes into your, your question on, you know, is it necessary for the, the purpose to align with the, the mission of the company? There is definitely a synergy that is created with an environmental oriented company giving back to sustainability you know, uh, a insurance company focusing more on maybe uh, education or risk management or whatever it is, right? But but not necessary. So, I mean, I I think for what consumers are driving toward is they just want to know that you are actually using those dollars that we're giving you to be able to make a difference. And I would actually say that what it's harder for national companies and global companies But what most people are looking for is a local impact, right? Like I care about my local community. Are you as target making a difference here in my own community? So I think it's not even necessarily that it's the purpose aligned because that that is important. And I would definitely say, you know, default, pick something in the wheelhouse as an easy thing, not necessary. Look local, though, at how can I engage locally in all these different areas that you and your employees are serving in. So if you have different you know, offices, satellite offices, things like that, plants, manufacturing plants, whatever it is, make a commitment in those local communities. And, and why that's important and, and why all this really matters is, yes, consumers are looking at that. We're grading you know, on a scale of one to 10, where is the highest priority? Is it that it's mission and purpose aligned? Or is it just that you're actually doing something? Mm -hmm. I would say that from my vantage point, it's that you're doing something. Mm -hmm. Like we just want to know that we're, we're, we're supporting and doing business with a company that's not just trying to fatten the wallet of a greedy CEO Mm -hmm. who actually cares about community, who's trying to do the right thing. That, and especially from a social media storyline, from a website, from a storyline of your employees, that to me is like the you know, the number one priority. The other reason that's important is for employees. Talent attraction, talent retention. Um, you know, we are in a global fight for workers. Once again, no one wants to go to work for a company that's just greedy, 
that's fattening the wallet of the owners. I want to go to work where I have a purpose-driven workplace that's going to make me a better person, give me opportunities to serve and give back. And I know back to the one-for-one model with every single transaction, with every sale, with everything I do, it's going to matter and it's going to make my community better. Mm -hmm. And I think that is from a marketing standpoint, the powerful storyline and the why you need to have a philanthropic statement. You need to get that out there and actually be committed to it and do the right things and, you know, prove that you're doing it, do it from an authentic place, but you need to be doing it. And, and what I would say is, is that, you know, the more you get involved, the more you let your team members involved, the more you give them a voice, it's going to lead to really cool things. And, and there's, we can get down all these different, you know, kind of rabbit holes, if you will, on, you know, making it a part, far, a part of the performance reviews for employees uh, so in other words, how do you incentivize it, yep. you know, yep. matching donations, giving if they're serving on boards, you, you know, have a certain amount of dollar threshold that you'll use to sponsor the events to, mm-hmm. you know, support the contributions. So you can do a lot of things as a company to in- incentivize, but also genuinely show support and that it's a priority for you as a company to, you know, give your employees these uh, really powerful professional and personal development opportunities to serve. But know that it's it's creating this powerful ROI for your business and the community at large. So there's a lot of things you can do. On the political side, you know, you kind of referenced that too. That is a new trend yeah. that is definitely taking place. Business leaders are still kind of, you know, grappling with how do I deal with it? What do I say? Employees are forcing the hand internally saying, what's what's our stance on this? What's our stance on this? And I think that, you know, smaller companies can be a little bit more on the sidelines. You know, if you're not feeling the internal pressure, the external pressure from companies, larger ones, especially public traded companies, those obviously are feeling the pressure. And I don't have an easy answer for that. But I do know that, you know, as a company, you are going to have to take a stand. And I know as City Current, like we put out, here's where we stand on certain things. And, uh, you know, we we do not accept hate. We don't, you know, at our 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 events and, and who we are culturally, like we are here to uh, be able to, to connect our community and we believe in everyone and, you know, their ability to, to come together and serve. And, you know, so pushing out racism and acceptance and tolerance and inclusion and things like that. So, you know, even though our actions speak to that every day, we still felt it was necessary for us to put out a, a statement. Right. So I, I think that some of this is going to be just a conversation that takes place uh, with your team members on on what to say, how to say it. But even to your point, it's you're, you're going to see this moving forward where people are going to expect you to do something and they're going to take a side based on whatever you decide. And, and you kind of have to know, you know, going back to your Patagonia and some of those, you really have to know your audience and you also have to know yourself and, and your consumer base because if your consumer base and your yourself, your employees, your team is definitely on one side of the political spectrum and they expect you to take an active voice and, you know, not just uh, say we're, you know, we're this, but to literally like, like you said, kind of cuss against it and fight against it, whatever else, take an active stance and push it away actively. That that's your DNA. That's your culture. That's what your consumers expect. But you have to know going in, you're going to alienate a lot of people as a part of that. And so, um, but that becomes, you know, back to marketing, that becomes a strategic decision 
based on knowing your consumer and their psychographics. For us as a city building organization, you know, we stay out of the politics yeah. and we are, are meant to be a bridge and be a connector and be a convener and be a safe place, a safe place to gather, you know, with different political views and faiths and, and all skin colors and everything. And I think, you know, you just kind of have to navigate it individually as each one of these major societal issues arises. It's going to be kind of a, how do we handle this given this and what's going on? Um, and so there's, my point is there's no easy answer, but I think employees and consumers both are starting to look at companies like individuals, you know, do I trust Joel? Do I trust Jeremy? Do I trust yeah. Walmart target? Whatever, you know, like pick, pick whatever brand you want. And that's a very new trend mm-hmm. with yeah. that. Just like as an individual, you've got to be out there volunteering and giving back because if you don't have any way to build trust in the community, they're not going to trust you when all these things happen. Yeah, that's, I totally hear you as you know, business owner to business owner, the, 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 the importance and the challenge. Personally, I say nothing ever anymore, like zero. There's, you'll never see a social post from me that has any lean one way or another. I just, it wasn't even intentional. I just saw the hysteria all around me. I'm like, I don't want to step into that. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun. But the one thing that I, I hope happens when they, when businesses as because they're being treated as an identity, as a person, right? Like a brand has a, a persona is that one taking a stance on an, on, on something is not taking a political side. It's saying, this is what we believe that doesn't make us this or that, you know, that we can't help ourselves, but to make it political. But the other side of it is because it is human in nature can we change that? And can we explain, this is how we saw something. Now, this is how we saw something. Here's why we saw it differently at different times. You know, to allow nuance, to allow growth, to allow perspective, as opposed to just bite size, here we are, this is where, you know, this is it. And all things over here are us, or all things over here are us. And I hope as this trend continues, it allows for that. You know, I was, I was speaking to a mentor of mine. He was a Lebanese man. And, and he, so he grew up in Beirut and he said, you know, one day we had to stay home from school as kids because there was um, a class of, I, I, I can't remember if it was religious or political, but there was some gunfire and there was this and that. And he's like, 40 years later, it's still happening. Where in the moment he thought it was just something because there was no reconciliation and everyone just entrenched. And so his caution was to, to me, not speaking directly to something I'd said, but just in general, culture changes all the time. And we need to have the flexibility to reach across and try and understand other things, other perspectives, so that we can change as culture changes. Because if we don't, we end up in gridlock. His point, we end up in gridlock like we've been in Beirut for now the rest of his lifetime so far, right? And then, you know, business is thrown in there and, and we just continue to camp. And that's, you know, that's what I hope happens as a result of this. You know, I've seen certain talk show hosts say, this is how I'm thinking about this now. And they piss off half their audience, but 
you know, at least they explain why too. And I think that's what, you know, we're in the hot takes generation, right? Mate, like you're in media. It's like, it's all hot takes. It's all sound bites. It's all headlines, but why I feel this way about something, you know, and that to, to the credit of some of my customers, when they, when we lost them, we put that out, they told us why they didn't just say, screw you, you know, unsubscribe. <laughs> they said, this is where I stand on this issue today because X, Y, and Z. And I was like, okay, I just learned something. Right. And what you're talking about is maturity, right? I mean, yeah. that, I, I'm the older you get, the more you realize there are massive complexities to every situation and decision you make. Now, some are easy. What do I want for dinner? You know, things like that. But it's very complex. You look at these big issues that we're facing. <laughs> there are many, many factors that you have to consider, and it's kind of like you know when you're have friends that are kind of bickering, and they're like, "There's not just his side and her side. There's like all these other things yeah. that happen too. That you have to kind of factor in. There's a lot of gray in between, and I think that is maturity is sitting back and saying okay, one, I don't have all the information. I need to gather a lot more information to come to my own decision. Two is there's a lot of sides that I have to bring in. And this is good journalism, good fact finding, you know, all these things that come in where you're not presenting a slanted one side, you're presenting the whole side. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is we live in a very fast paced, sensationalized, you know, if it bleeds, it leads, uh, cancel culture society which is very dangerous because it leads people to make a mob decision very fast and act on it mm-hmm. versus maturity, mm-hmm. taking in all the information, looking at all the different sides, taking it down the path of like, okay, let's, let's start. If we do this, the domino effect, like we gotta, we gotta make the right decision based on this, but take in all the things. And even a lot of which that we don't even know. Like there's other parties that are a part of this storyline that we don't even know that have input too, in terms of what's happened. And so that's where I think being patient, having the relationships, being mature to step back, we need more of that as a society. And, you know, will it happen? I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing bright spots in terms of, you know, media that's kind of going in that direction versus being the total politicized. I'm seeing more and more, you know, people step back, like you said, and say, wait a second, before I just start jumping on a bandwagon, you know, whatever direction it is, let me actually, you know, do some research and come out with what the, I really feel is the truth and then put the truth out there and why I feel this way. Mm -hmm. And then let that, um, let that be out there in the public. So I think it's there, but I mean, I'm just hoping that this, this kind of mob mentality, if it bleeds, it leads has always been a part of the media. So that, that, yeah. that in a reality is never going to go away, but I'm hoping that this cancel culture that we're in will, will, will slow down a little bit to give people some breathing opportunities. I think people do make mistakes. They say the wrong thing and they, you know, act out of anger or they, they act out of ignorance or whatever it is. And they say things. And then all of a sudden the public, you know, just consumes on it. And I think those are moments that we can all learn from. And I think grace is a piece of this as well, that we, we all as a society need to have more grace. We're so quick to attack everyone, not even realizing what they're going through or, you know, the, the circumstances that they're in. So I think there is a piece of this where just looking in the mirror and saying, 
you know, I make mistakes every day. I'm not going to sit there and say that uh, anything I do is, is perfect. And so I'm going to give you grace and respect and, and I, and I'm going to seek to understand why you did what you did without just coming on the attack. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of things that we can learn as relation building opportunities that hopefully will, will, will start to permeate in our community and in our media and everything else, but it's going to take some time and it's going to take more and more leaders, you know, stepping up and saying, here's, here's what I'm, I'm thinking and here's why I'm thinking and give me some time. And I'm going to get like, it's just going to take some patience. We do. We seek, we seek leadership from as people, you know, as children, we get it from our parents and our mentors and our coaches. And as adults, we get it from the leaders of our countries and, you know, the people in power we do, there's an innate piece of us that looks to say, what is that leader saying? And, and therefore they do have great responsibility to bridge the divides. I think. And I, and I, and I I'll say this too. And I mean, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to get on the politics of this, but we do back to leadership. Leadership matters immensely. Yeah. When you have, and you can put whatever title position from faith leader to president, whatever, when you have people who have a platform who use it to critique, point fingers, bully, it opens up the floodgates mm -hmm. for others to start feeling like they can go on the attack and, and start to belittle and bully others. And that's where I get worried as a father, as a community member, is if we don't sit down and treat everybody with respect, regardless of whether you disagree with them or not, and you think they're your enemy or not, either way, the general respect is human beings and treating each other with respect. You may have different ideologies, different opinions, different directions, everything, whatever, but the respect, mm -hmm. we are going down a very destructive path that leads us in some very dangerous places. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that culture in our world, in our nation, in our communities, in our organizations, it starts with the leaders at the top and how they treat each other, which then people feed off of that. So I think that's a really important thing for all of us to pay attention to as if nothing else, as parents, how are you treating others and all the little interactions, because everyone, especially your kids, they're watching. And that then will lead them to treat others in the same way. And so I think we have to be very, very careful on just who we are and how we treat others, especially on social media, because the world is watching. I think, yeah. Amen. Amen to that. I, I, something I pray for every day is, is responsible, inspi uh, inspiring leadership with grace and reverence for our, our collective humanness, not our differences. And, and, uh, and I think to the point you made, and maybe this is the last we'll spend on this uh, or the last time we touch on this, maybe not is the local level, the community level. You know, there was one, we get so global in our mindset and we become be, it's so overwhelming to say, well, how the heck am I supposed to make a difference when all this shit is going on? And yeah, and you take it national. Well, how the heck am I supposed to make a difference when all this shit is going on? And we get even bogged down into federal politics and whatever else. 
when we turn, turn up at the local charity, when we turn up at the local town hall meeting, that's where we actually can make a difference, where we actually can connect and we can see it all happening right in the place where we live. And we can build the best version of what we want right there. And from there, that can grow into something else or collectively as all the communities. But it's, you know, because of social media and all, and, and all this, we just, we're, we're thinking so macro and it, and it takes us out of the place that we are. And your book, uh, I can't remember if it was the first one or the second one, if it was giving for growth. Yeah, giving back with purpose or giving for growth. Was, giving for growth is the more broad one for everybody. So yeah, that's. Giving back with purpose was very Memphis oriented, wasn't it? Correct. Like it was, yeah. And so you kind of always had that understanding of I'm going to make the difference. I'm going to celebrate the people. I'm going to work on inclusion here. I'm not going to worry what's happening in Seattle today, you know, or Memphis or sorry, in Memphis. Yeah. I mean, every community you start looking around, there's, there's issues, there's gaps that you can solve. And look, entrepreneurialism, entrepreneurialism is solving problems, right? So you yeah. look around your own, you know, neighborhood, even you could become an entrepreneur by looking around saying there's a problem to solve and I can solve it. Right. I can raise my hand to be a part of that solution. And yes, it starts by making a difference in your corner of the world. Yeah. Once you start making a difference in your corner of the world, your corner of the neighborhood, that carries over and creates the momentum and the energy to then start creating a difference in your city, yeah. in your state, yeah. in your nation, in your world. To your point, we don't have to be the billion dollar philanthropists to be a philanthropist. Mm -hmm. In many cases, it's doing itself a disservice. If you think yourself as a community champion and put on the hat of being a community champion, it makes it a lot easier for you to look at, okay, how do I use my social media to celebrate the good that's going on, to celebrate and support the nonprofits and all the positive stories? Because there are tons of positive stories going on every yeah. single day in your community, and you can be a champion for that. How can I be a champion for getting more people physically involved? How can I be a champion myself for getting my family, myself involved? How can I share those stories? When you put on the hat of it as a community champion, it really does change your lens, and, and you become a, a philanthropist. And you realize that, you don't have to have, you know, tons of money. You don't have to have tons of time. You just have to have a purpose and a dedication and a commitment to making a difference. And I mean, there's so many amazing stories of kids at young ages who are raising thousands and thousands of dollars and, you know, out there actively leading missions and efforts and things, you know, with thousands of, of people behind them. And these are teenagers, you know, for the most part. And we've had a chance to interview some of them on, on our podcast too. And so it's like, it's inspiring to see that at any age, at any economic level, any faith, whatever it is, you can make a difference. And, and you don't have to have a title. You don't have to have millions of dollars. And uh, I mean, I could go on so many cool stories of like the documentary Undefeated and Bill Courtney and how that starts with just him, you know, and his friend raising his hand to get involved at Manassas High School. So many amazing stories of of young leaders, older leaders, you know, you name it, getting involved and leading these, these amazing, really transformational causes. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just because they, they raised their hands and said, I'm going to make a difference in my corner of the world. And so there's a, there was a really cool, I'll just some quick examples. One, 
there was a, a cool exhibit. It was a traveling exhibit that was going on and uh, I'm drawing a blank. It was tied to facing history in ourselves, but it was coming through. And there was one exhibit called not in our, not in our town. And it was Billings, Montana, and there were hate crimes going on. And the newspaper there run, uh, ran on the front page of Menorah. And they're like, we want every household to put a menorah in there. We're going to come together as a community and we're going to kick these people out of our city. Mm-hmm. And they did. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how cool is that? That a newspaper, yeah. you know, took a stand and said, we as a community are going to come together and we're putting on our community champion hat. We're going to come together. To community, we're going to kick these hate crimes out. Yeah. And the fact that they did it just shows you the power of connection, but the power of being a community champion and how anyone at any level can say enough is enough. Let's do this. Let's take a stand. Let's make a difference in our corner of the world. And that will create, you know, a ripple effect. And so I just think that, you know, as you're looking at things, it really is easy to get lost in all that. But I'll tell you things like Samaritan's feet where that's where we have a hundred plus volunteers, all adults come in, we wash kids' feet. We give them new socks and shoes. We sit down and we just we we just pour on love with them, right? And these are kids who, you know, their families are having to choose between food on the table, shoes on their feet. Mm-hmm. These are kids right in our own backyard, and it blows people away because they walk in and these kids will do it like in January and it's cold and they're coming in in flip flops. Or we'll do it. Uh, we're doing it this year in August, and you know they they come in with with nothing. And we're able to give them something that in many cases is, is, you know, relatively a small gift, new pair of shoes and socks. And it means the world to them. One of the girls, she was a teenager and she had never had a new pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. It was her birthday that day. And no one had ever like gave Mm -hmm. her a special sung her happy birthday, anything. And so, you know, we're out there, you know, hundred plus singing happy birthday. And I mean, you know, she's in tears and it's just like, when you see that in your own community, it changes you because you realize one person can make a huge difference. It doesn't have to be hard. And when you see that smile and you light up, you know, with the child, like you realize I can do so much more than what I'm given right now. And it can fuel you and your fire in, in really big ways uh, and it just, it opens up the floodgates of your heart to say, okay, I, I want to do more of this. And I think that's where, once again, if you get lost in the big picture, like you, you might not have those local moments, which leads yeah. to the growth and the enthusiasm and that internal fire to realize that you can be a change maker by doing it at the local level in those small one-on-one instances, which then lead to really powerful returns in terms of your legacy and your life. It's a win, right? When you and and from a win, you build confidence, and your perspective shifts to, oh, I can do this. What else can I do? And there's something when you were sharing stories, it, it jarred a story in my mind. I can't remember the name. I, he's called the Iron Cowboy, and he's a he's a, a, an endurance athlete. And he did. He's, he's Canadian, but he's but he's based in Utah, somewhere in Utah. And he did a hundred Ironmans in a hundred days, like nutty, nutty alien stuff. Like that is ridiculous. And he would have, 
so he did 50 Ironmans in 50 days in, in 50 states. That was his first project. And then the second one was 100, but logistically it was only possible to literally do the same Ironman every day in Utah. So every day people would fly in and there'd be like a momentum building. And there was this one kid who, I don't know, he, I guess he was the son of a dad who knew, knew the Iron Cowboy and he comes and he wants to do the run. So it's a marathon, right? It's 26 miles. And he want the first, I guess somehow the first, he's like seven years old, like seven years old, I think. So the first time he comes and they're not running fast, you're doing hundred Ironmans in hundred days, you're not running fast. <laughs> so the kid runs like 15 plus miles of this thing, right? And he's in tears because he can't finish it with the Iron Cowboy. And so I think it was one week later, seven-year-old kid comes back, no running background whatsoever, and finishes a full marathon. And what they said was really inspiring about the story, not only you know, what he did, was that one, the dad allowed the kid to follow the kid's belief that he could do this thing with the Iron Cowboy. And he didn't tell him you can't. And then the kid proved to himself that he could. And then as a result, he proved to so many other people who would have a, you know, a negative bias or some sort of failure story that they can't do that kind of thing. And I think that that ties in exactly with small wins. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't know he's inspiring anybody. He's just, he's just showing up to run. I mean, you just show up and you have that win, especially as a kid, especially as a young person who then shapes the, their belief in what they can do. And I think it's a really beautiful thing that you're, you're creating those opportunities for people, mate, and not just to do them, but to talk about them on your shows. And, and if you don't mind, I'd like to really do a jarring pivot here because <laughs> um, I'm fascinated by you uh, for many reasons. And I say that as a friend and, you know, and someone who's done, done a little bit of work together, I guess you could say this is that, <laughs> but I'm going to read a section of your bio and I'll preface it by saying you always show up with the biggest smile. You always show up with so much energy and presence. And I never, like, I rarely do. <laughs> I'm like, not that guy. Okay. So here's the piece. Since 2010, Park has authored a weekly giving back column, which is published each Sunday in the Memphis newspaper. The commercial appeal. He produces and hosts a weekly radio show that airs on all four um, Cumulus Media Memphis stations and a show that airs on all five Cumulus Media Nashville stations, The Changemakers Podcast, a monthly television show on PBS, WKNO, called The Spark, and an annual televised award show called The Spark Awards. He also hosts the television show A Conversation With, with which airs across the PBS networks in Tennessee and profiles figures like NASA, NASA astronauts and Shark Tank investors. Okay, so that's one thing. And then there's the philanthropy. And then there's the fact that you have to run your business. And I don't know how you do it. <laughs> and, and again, and, and just have so much presence when you show up. And so I guess my first question is, is really baked in the how there's three, maybe there's three questions in here. There's one, there's the, how do you manage your time? What does a day selfishly, because we've never talked about it, a self, a day in your life look like, 
to how do you continue to find and create creatively as a marketer, as someone who has to bring, as you mentioned at the very beginning, put bums in seats sometimes for events, you know, Zoom seats, et cetera. How do you find your creativity inside that daily routine? And the third piece of that is how do you find time for yourself? How do you create space to make sure that you're not giving all of you away? If that is even as a thing, maybe it's not. Um, so (laughs) (laughs) one is, I think, and it does tie into the cliche. If you love what you do, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, all the kind of stuff that centers around that you'll never work a day in your life. One is, this is a calling. It is a 24 seven responsibility in terms of what it, uh, has become, how I view it, how I've always viewed it as an opportunity to really be able to make a difference. I view this as when you look at, you know, the, the, the church, so to speak, in terms of the difference you're trying to make in your legacy, this is, this is it. This is my opportunity to really create change locally, regionally, globally. And I, and I view it as a responsibility. I mean, I take it very serious as a responsibility when people reach out and they have an issue or something that we need to address or, you know, an opportunity or whatever it is, an idea, I I want to do what I can as a connector, a helper, just, you know, a spark to be able to make a difference. And so I think I view it from that lens as it's not a job. Mm -hmm. This is a calling. And so that already, and I, I don't also really look at it as work life balance to me, it's, it's harmony. Right. And so um, for instance, you and I were talking before you record, I was just at a state tennis tournament playing on um, some USTA leagues and that was going on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday all out. And you mentioned, you know, the, the heat of Tennessee. So we're out in Murfreesboro in the Nashville, Nashville area, but you know, like I brought my family with me because Wednesday and Thursday of that, were work sessions. And so meeting with my team and strategizing and things Then we did CMA fest. So a little bit of fun, but it was tied with work Thursday night. And then the tennis Friday, Saturday, Sunday in between that though, I'm working, my wife's working, but we're also having fun as a family too. And so next week we'll be doing the same thing with my wife. She's got a work trip. We're going with her to kind of have some fun. So we integrate things together and we find those moments as a family where we can both work knowing that that's a priority because she's in education and she loves what she does. And so balancing those pieces is a priority for us. And we just, we, we try to make that work knowing also to what's important. She knew that the USTA, the state tournament was important. We now are, one of our teams finished in first place. So now we have sectionals and already I'm like, what are we doing? You know, these days. And she's like, I know it's a priority. We'll make this work communication and understanding what's important, what, what fuels you. So I don't, for me personally, it's swimming when it's warm. Like I like to swim every day. I'll do about a hundred laps. That's what keeps me kind of in shape. And then playing tennis. Those are my How two things. That? How far is a hundred laps? It's uh, I don't know. in our pool. Like what it, I can knock it out in about 40 minutes. That's, that's, that's my, you know, like oh I get in, I get it done. I make sure that my wife's not in there. Son, you know, laying in the sun. Cause otherwise I create waves and then she gets mad at me. So I let her do her thing. And then I do my laps. Dude, I'm such a bad swimmer. That's why I ask. I'm just like in awe of anyone who can swim more than eight laps 
<laughs> well, I, I blew out my shoulder years ago playing tennis and that's why I didn't touch a racket for, you know, like 15, 16 years. I'm just now getting back into it. And it's been awesome. But when you have all these injuries, like swimming is the one yeah. thing that's like, <laughs> that I could do that, that doesn't break my body down. But anyway, so understanding what fuels you and, and how I recharge and what, what's important to me and, and obviously church and in those pieces as a family, we know what recharges. And so then when you look at, okay, building out the day, one, I have an amazing team with City Current. It's only five people though. So we have three in the Memphis area, two in Nashville. So we do over, you know, 180, 150 to 180 events in each market. So over 300 events a year, workshops, seminars, signature breakfast series, like all these things with a very small number of team members, all the media that you're talking about, and then all the philanthropy, all of that comes down to five people, which, you know, one, I've got an amazing team. So that's, in and of itself, that's a huge piece of this. We also have amazing partners and these corporate partners really it's city current is theirs just as much as ours. And we give away the control to them so that they really can have ownership and say, let's do these things. These are, you know, important things to be involved in city building and philanthropically. Here are some great events that we can help put together. Here's how we can activate this. Here's how we can, you know, come out and we'll invite all these people. So all of this comes down to, in a way, marketing. How do you engage a city, create a big pipeline to get more people involved, give them opportunities and special moments because we all want to be a part of special experiences. Everything is about experiences. Start on time, end on time, you know, good content, inspiration, like all these things. You have to be laser focused on the experience on the event side and even on the media and the philanthropy. And that goes back to energy and everything you, you know, you you were mentioning before um, because they won't remember what you said, but they remember how you make them feel. And so energy, I was talking to, a nephew who's a singer. And I was, we were talking about him being afraid, you know, not, not afraid, but just stage presence and being nervous before getting on stage. And I was telling him, I said, the audience wants you to succeed. Like we're out there to root you on. We we as an audience, like we want to see a good show. We want to be inspired. We're not going to remember all the little things. We're going to remember the energy that you put out. And if you just focus on the energy, then man, you will be in great shape as speakers. We focus all the time on the content, but we forget how do we want them to feel? Mm-hmm. And when you start putting the emotion in with it, then you start going over the top in terms of the experience. So anyway, all of that, there's a million little details. And even on the media side, you know, you, you have to be professional. You have to know how to produce, how to edit, how to host, how to get the guests, how to, to make everything, you know, in the end look easy. And it's not, but I've been doing it for 20 plus years. Right. And so you, you, you just build a system and a process and you learn uh, all the little intricacies that make it look like, uh, you know, that, that it's easy. And, and I think even on this, you know, and you're a good example, but Larry King and, and so many other great talk show um, hosts, people ask, well, what are you going to ask me? I don't know. I know, I know a little bit, but then part of the fun is the organic conversation. Yeah. And we're going to both be in the moment. And when we're in the moment, we're going to have fun. And we're going to make sure that we touch on the important things to touch on topically. We're going to have fun. And I think that is the whole key when you talk about the media, understanding the production, but having fun and just genuinely wanting to learn and grow as a part of it. And that leads to really good things. 
And so then that also leads to wanting to be involved in the community. So I, you know, I, I'm much more of a night person than I'm a morning person, which is <laughs> hosting a lot of morning events, but at the same time, I've learned on my end how to kind of adjust the day to make sure that I'm, you know, usually typically I'm up around six 30 ish, uh, depending on if I have to get case in our younger son to school, our older son's now in college. So he's self-sufficient, but, um, you know, depending on what his day is, uh, get him to school or, you know, head straight in, knock out a bunch of stuff, have meetings and media. I mean, usually I'm interviewing two to three to four to sometimes as many as 13 people in a day. And, uh, and we can knock it out pretty efficiently. And then you have all the meetings, you have all the planning and you have a newsletter, you have all these things that you just do, but you, you figure out a process. And I'll tell you, probably the biggest thing is, and I've had to learn the hard way is just, um, how to say no, Yeah, you know, yeah. That, that you have to protect your time and you have to protect your energy. Mm-hmm. And I've made a very conscious decision on my end. Things like if it's, you know, if it's, if it's not an important meeting in terms of something that I feel like I've got to be in person, let's knock it out on a 15 to 20 minute zoom and, and be very mindful. And, and it cuts out the small talk, but it's like, let's get to the point. What do we need to do? And, and let's work together and make it happen. So you, you protect your time. And then even on the nonprofits that I serve on the boards with, I tell them, I will give you my work day. So we've got that window, but after five o'clock and on the weekends, I'm with my family and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, to break outside of that. And so I think when you create those guardrails and those barriers and you tell people why you're doing it, they'll respect that. But also too, it allows you to be more effective at, you know, giving your all and, and going all in and doing the best job possible within the very limited time we have, both with our jobs, our families, and with our life. Life is short. It is. Yeah, it is. And I, to the last thing you said, I've only just started doing that. The, no, you don't get my evenings anymore. And, you know, I have, I have personally noticed a fall off in certain types of opportunities that came from that evening crowd, if you will, where, okay, we'll do dinner and dinner will lead to something and, you know, so on and so forth. But that's like, you know, if I'm in the, in the, in the, in a deal, like there's a deal that needs to be funded or something like that. Okay. I'll maybe give a few more, but by and large, I just don't care. There'll be like, there'll be another one that comes down the line. And you know, again, I want to be respectful of your time. And I had, I, I had a few other things I wanted to, to dive into specifically it, because you've just gone through a major merger uh, of sorts, acquisition, M&A, and I have been through similar and leading a team through that is challenging because there's unpredictability. You have to be transparent. There's unpredictability for everybody. So maybe the last specific question I'll ask uh, today is just how did you successfully in this, this M&A that you've just had lead the team through it and, and the advice that you can share to those who might be in a similar situation and or who want to be in a similar situation as in their building to, to sell, their building to scale and sell. That is a sidebar out of sidebars. I've jammed in two questions here, Jeremy, sorry. <laughs> but um, 
But again, you just have such a cross section of experiences. And I think that this, this one really will hit a hot button for a lot of people. So, yeah, I've, I've gone through a lot, I guess the, the gray hairs are, are coming in. Oh, buddy. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I mean, I think the uncertainty is the key because with any transition, with any change, you know, we are creatures of habit as, as humans. And so any uncertainty is, is always something that um, just creates confusion. And, and it, it also though creates an opportunity for, for clarity and, and rallying together. And I think in this case, what was, what was unique was that I had a long personal relationship with them. Now, keep in mind, my team members had no relationship and they didn't know. And so on my end, the ability to say, look, I grew up with these individuals. My dad, you know, literally helped them start their employee benefits division. I know their culture. I know their long legacy. I, I know their heart for community service. These are good people who are going to do the right thing, who also heavily believe in City Current and our bright future. That right there is a baseline, made it a lot easier. But for our team going through it, you're right. I mean, you know, what does this mean? Are, are we okay? Like, are we going to have jobs? Like yeah. <laughs> what, 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 you know, is this a bad, is this a good, are they going to believe in us and want to fuel growth or are they going to say, nah, you're not really important. And, and then you get into even the, the kind of the second level of that is, okay, well, what's the process? How, how are they going to, what does success look like? What are they grading us against? What's, you know, in the benefit, you know, package, like, I mean, yeah. you know, is it a micromanaged situation? Is it, you know, does, does, does it change any, like, how's the structure on this? Like all, all these little things that I think when you're going through the process, you, you do have to step back and look at as much as you can. What are all the questions that the employee is going to have? Like, how are they going to process this? Not just in terms of the change, but literally the little changes around you know, structure of decision-making, um, process of accountability, software and hardware programs, little things like websites and all those kind of stuff in terms of who makes, you know, decisions on, do we use Zoom and where does that, like, not that you have to get so far in the minutia, but just understanding some of those nuances around what are the shifts going to take place, branding, like all of those things as much as you can, because, having answers to those will go a long way in galvanizing your team and rallying them around. This is a good thing. And, and I think whether it's a merger of, you know, two similar size organizations coming together, whether it's an acquisition, whether it's a, you know, we're, we're selling out to the bigger one, like whatever it is, your, your, your team deserves to know, um, what's going on. And, and, you know, I've seen a lot of scenarios where some people are completely in the dark and all of a sudden they get the email, you know, 8am, our team or, you know, our company has been purchased and da, 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 da. And, you know, it, it's been top secret and you'll learn more about the rollout. And, you know, we tried on our end to be very honest and upfront with what was going on when we were, you know, able to, obviously, but I think that the biggest things on our end was open communication, letting them know the things that even I didn't know saying, yeah. you know what valid. I, I don't have an answer. Let me work on that myself and, and get back to you. 
and so being honest, being transparent, being authentic, and and just trying to be respectful and be you know human, I think is the the biggest thing because I learned a lot going through the process. Uh, I'm still learning a lot, but I think at the end of the day, I I I just try to have empathy for my team in terms of where they're all individually coming from, because in each case, it's, it's very different ends of the spectrum. One is a, a, a new father with, you know, three little ones, mm-hmm. and he's dealing with a very different set of circumstances than, you know, someone on my team who, you know, has, has a kid in college, you know, like they're, they're all just different in terms of where they are as, as people, as family members. And so being respectful of, their concerns and, and dealing with them as a group, but also individually with respect went a long way. And, and obviously with a larger company, you can't necessarily do it with every person, but I think, you know, we learned a lot about communication. We learned a lot about, okay, these are the things that we kind of predicted on the front end and we could communicate some of the things we didn't predict and we learned the hard way, but I will say it's been an awesome experience um, I mean, I, I honestly can't say enough. It, it, let's put it this way. It has been the best thing that has ever happened to City Current, to our family, to our team, because it, it gives us so much more access and foundation for truly, honestly, like generational transformation in terms of what it means to be an owner of a larger entity that, you know, when you start talking about being a shareholder of an organization that's you know, headed toward a billion dollars and their ability to invest back into city current and their belief in what we do and why we do it and the mission to power the good and the community focus and to say, Hey, Jeremy, we want your team to start thinking about taking this to Dallas, Fort Worth, to Houston, to Los Angeles, to you know, St. Louis, to all these places. And you're just like, what? That's amazing. <laughs> like, this isn't awesome because we we've seen what it can do in Memphis. We're seeing what it can do in Nashville. And we have a lot of the connection, but to be able to activate on that is, is honestly just amazing. And so I'm really excited about what it means for us and our future, but also too just the opportunities that it opens up to really create some, some cool, just powerful moments and obviously connectivity and making a difference to support nonprofits and causes in all these major cities and so many more ahead that would have never been possible before. And I think at some point, and and you know this, at some point you got to have somebody that believes in you that steps in and says, I love what you're doing in your corner of the world. How about I step up and put some firepower behind you so that you can actually like, you know, do some really big things and let's put the money in, let's put the people in, let's put the resources in so that you can actually expand this thing and, and, and go power the good in bigger ways. And I think at some point, you know, everybody kind of wants that, that not just the attaboy, but also the, like the foundation to take it to the next level. And that's what I view this as. Man, as an entrepreneur, there is such a sigh of relief sometimes when, when you get that, because you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're driven by a purpose and you feel so unable at times to see, to, to, put out the entirety of that purpose into the world that keeps you up at night and in a good way sometimes. And when you do have that person like you just had that says, you know what we are, I am going to step up and take, take this vision to the next level. It's one of those things that really makes life 
you're like, oh, I get it. Life is pretty spectacular. <laughs> pretty. I'll tell you, yeah, one, one more piece of the equation, though, that you can't ever lose sight of. And, and we talk about this as a team that's really important is just because they're willing to put the money in doesn't mean it's like a handout and you all of a sudden now you get to just, you know, rock and roll and, and go out. We've got to earn yeah. all of this and, and still like every bit of this, we got to find the formula and the model that translates back into value and ROI and, you know, mm-hmm. becoming profitable to be self-sustaining because you don't ever want to be the organization that's just, um, you know, taking, you want to be giving and, and being able to be sustainable. So there is, it's, it's a, it's a two-sided equation for sure on, you know, getting that, that level of support, but also to earning it and uh, making it sustainable. That, and that's more often the case. We just, you know, publicly newspapers, headlines, whatever, they just, they just read you the, the, oh, it's sold entrepreneur rich. It ain't ever, or almost is never quite so simple. You know, entrepreneur is rich, disappears on yacht for 25 years. It's like, no, yeah. You know, look no further than the founder of Zappos and just how miserable he was after Amazon bought him for, you know, that's a tough example because, you know, he had it didn't you know, that was a very, very tough time for him that did not end well. It was tragic, but you know, that's just one example of many where the burden that came after was actually greater than the burden that had been before. And I just really appreciate the way that you're looking at it. I have a responsibility to those that are now here, not a, not a ticket to ride. Mate, I've taken so much of your time and I'm so grateful for you and all you do. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted me to ask you uh, that you want to share? No, I, I think, you know, for us, um, I mentioned at the onset, but all of this is an invitation for people to get involved. And obviously we're physically based in Memphis and Nashville, but we are growing in different markets and looking at all these new places to expand our physical efforts. But we have so many ways that people literally all over the world can plug in and be a part of what we're doing. So I would just as an invitation for anybody who's watching, listening, who's just interested in, you know, anything that uh, we talked about, if it resonates with you, check us out on citycurrent.com. We also have an e-learning platform called Growth Current, growthcurrent.com. But citycurrent.com is an easy place where you can see all the stuff that we're talking about, the media, the events, the philanthropy, and, and you can plug in. And really our, our fall and spring were heavy with events. And we have a lot of guest speakers and just really, to me, powerful opportunities to grow and learn professionally and personally. And so just would love for you. And they're all free. So you know, when you look at uh, City Current, it's all free. Growth Current is a, is a paid model, but it's more focused on uh, learning modules and, and different opportunities for that. But either way, get involved, citycurrent.com, free opportunity to, to be a part of what we're doing. And I would just encourage people to get involved. We have the ebook, Giving for Growth. That's a, a super easy way to get that one. Um, it's like $4.99. You, know, you can get it anywhere. So that's a, a, a fun one to dive into this world even more. And then all of our media and anything else, it all goes back to power the good. So we just want more people involved, more people with an open heart to make a difference. And we want to help in any way possible. You hear that, everyone? You got to get involved. <laughs> I'm serious, though. You guys do amazing stuff. And 
you do amazing stuff. Uh, are you, are you speaking anywhere anytime soon or is that, is that on hold? So I, I am, and that's a piece of it as well. I do a lot of public speaking and, um, you know, the bio and stuff you mentioned, all that's on my personal website. It's just jeremycpark.com. And that's my social media handle too, Jeremy C. Park. Try to make it easy because there are other Jeremy Parks out there. So I try <laughs> to make it less confusing. But uh, City Current, it's at City Current is the handle there for that one. But I am, I, I do a lot with like HR groups that are focused on how do I get my team more involved in volunteerism do a lot with leadership groups around social impact and talk about the trends and how they can uh, to, you know, leverage and, and be more involved philanthropically around marketing and storytelling and uh, the higher purpose. I mean, all of these conversations we dive into pretty heavily when it comes to the speaking and even a lot of the personal lessons learned from giving for growth. Um, And the whole idea is how do I become more successful? in a way that benefits our community. And there's so many powerful lessons that we touched on, obviously a few is kind of teasers, but that you can weave all this together and, uh, and make a powerful difference in a very easy way. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm speaking to a ton of different groups coming up a lot in the fall is usually once, once school's back in session, that's like all of a sudden all the events start popping back up again. And that, yeah, this year probably will be the real return you post uh, the last three years at this point, right? Like that'll be full on. Well, last thing, best barbecue in Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone who comes one, to remember? Memphis. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Like the, the irony is so Memphis, obviously home of the blues, birthplace of rock and roll, Elvis Presley, Graceland, like <laughs> huge musical legacy, Justin Timberlake from here. Like it goes on Aretha Franklin that goes on and on and on. The musical legacy here is amazing. Stax museum of American soul music, obviously Graceland. Um, so many iconic places. National civil rights museum is something you have to come and see. It will change your life for sure. So when you talk about Memphis, there are iconic places that people need to come. And when we bring guest speakers in, like we give them a hit list of all the things, like pick what you want to do because you need to, you need to experience Memphis. And obviously barbecue, we are well known for uh, the world championship. So when you talk about barbecue fest, world championship right here in Memphis, I, the irony of this is that like, I'm not a big meat meat eater. Like I don't eat a lot of barbecue. So when people ask me, like, I love Corky's rendezvous is, is a, um, is an iconic spot. Uh, rendezvous is more like dry rub Greek kind of style. So it's a, um, really cool experience downtown. So central barbecue is another one. They all kind of have their tops. They, yeah. they, they have their audience, you know what I mean? And you are like a hardcore diehard, like <laughs> I'm this Memphis is a very pork uh, barbecue um, city. And so, you know, Texas is more brisket mm-hmm. here. It's more uh, pork, but honestly, like they're all amazing. I, we, we take guest speakers and guests and stuff. Anytime they come in, um, if they want to go, we kind of say, which style do you want? And we'll take you. And if you want to do the the tour day barbecue, we'll take you to all those too. After you've spoken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, but, you know, like for me personally, like 
Napa Cafe is one of my favorite restaurants in Memphis. And, and it's because Glenda Hastings, the owner, is one, a good friend, but two is she uses the restaurant to give back. She is always like hosting events and, you know, things to give back to nonprofits. I mean, she uses that restaurant as, as, as a, as a catalyst so much so that she does Donna's table for Thanksgiving, where she opens up the restaurant. She has uh, turkeys on every table. She has all these recipes from her mom that she makes and anyone who is homeless, who has no family, like doors are open come in and just, you know, experience love. And you walk out of there with a full belly, but you also, she gives you, you know, even more to go because she knows that so many of these, you know, this is their, this is their meal. And, uh, and once again, back to relationships, when you see that and you see how she uses her restaurant as a vehicle to create change in the community and what she does with just love and honesty and, authenticity. That's the kind of restaurant it's like, I want to go there. And so that's Napa cafe, typically like those sort of restaurants. So we have, you know, quite a few of them that are like that. That's, I love barbecue, but that that's, those are the places I go. I respect that brother. I'm so grateful for your time. Likewise. This was fun. I'm grateful for the relationship with, from the bottom of my heart, the world is a better place because you are in it without question. And I'm so excited to see what you do under or not under, but with this partnership um, and this merger, as you expand into new markets, take your message, take who you are, take you know, how you inspire and educate people. It, I think in 20 years, I just, I just can see you. I can see city current. I can see it all everywhere having made a, ma- a meaningful impact on bridging those divides and, and, and bringing people back together. So thank you. Well, I greatly appreciate you, the friendship, the partnership, everything on your end. And, you know, that's, this is how the world works is people working together, coming together, talking, diving into important topics, growing is a part of it, but also too looking at the future saying, Hey, we can work together and do some really powerful things. Let's do it. Let's do it, baby. As always, thanks so much for listening to The Ramble. No, there is a lot of podcasts out there, so we thank you for choosing to listen all the way through on this one. You know, we want to be part of the, the solution, the, the good questions, the things that move you and inspire you and make you want to connect deeper with yourself and others, you know, all that great stuff. So if the spirit does move you, subscribe, share, post, anything. We'd be forever grateful. And if you have any comments or feedback, good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. We're here to listen. Guests you think we should have on. Of course, send them along. Thank you. And until next time, peace. Hey, thanks so much for making it to the end of the podcast. I know that my self and of course my guests really appreciate you listening all the way through you know, they put a lot of time into their projects and their ideas and and you know, they're very thoughtful with how they they bring themselves and show up on the show and so i'm really grateful that uh, that you've listened all the way through you know we don't have ads on the show i think i don't think red circles running ads but i wanted to take just a quick second to say that hey if the spirit moves you you know this podcast can be brought to you by some of the wild, fun, wacky, creative things I do. I always try and stay in the practice of creativity, whether that's writing or working on films or uh, just about anything. I, I try and be very diligent that I'm I'm doing it consistently. And so, you know, as a result of that, I put some things out and and I'd love for you to check them out. You know, one is uh, 
Getting Naked, The Bare Necessities of Entrepreneurship and Startups. That's my book and you can get it anywhere where books are sold online like Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or Indigo. And uh, it's the story of my company, Naked Underwear, the first company I started that went from a failed attempt on Dragon's Den, um, your, that's your Shark Tank in America, to the NASDAQ and was eventually divested. And it has a ton of tips and ideas for startups, very practical advice, but it's always also interwoven with my own story, which I think entrepreneurs and creatives and artists can really, uh, would really relate to, uh, you know, has almost 155 ish star, four and a half star reviews. And I think people, if you're going through, you know, a startup needs some motivation, needs some ideas, just want to feel like, Hey, there's a kindred spirit out there. You know, it's a great book to check out. Also, you can check out my blog at joelprimus.com forward slash blog, where I write a couple of blogs a month about a variety of topics, a lot of stuff on fitness, things like how to know when to quit, a lot of personal development, psychedelics, all kinds of things. Everything's written from a personal lens. And, uh, you know, it's just a great way to digest a little bit of hopefully fun and helpful inspiration. And of course, keep checking out this podcast, The Ramble on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever your podcatcher of choice is. Thanks again and have an awesome day, week, month, whatever it is.